0: there's still room for more. That's what's like really exciting for a smart home. Yeah, and that's why it's just like, even though like 25 years ago we had the Clapper, now we have voice assistants and we have phones that you control stuff. Where are we gonna be at in another 25 years when every single device in your home is connected? That's gonna be exciting.
1: The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Guerrilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Well greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host Paul Spain and today we're talking with Jimmy Chu, who is the co-founder and chief executive at Nanoleaf. Welcome along Jimmy, how are you? Hey Paul, thanks for having me on your show. Great to to have you here. Now you're in uh, Toronto Today, which is uh, which is where you're based, coming to us from your home. So, thank you for uh, for taking the the time out, and really looking forward to this this chat to delve into the whole world of smart home. Because when I think of smart home, I look back a long way when we sort of first started seeing sort of home automation and and these sorts of technologies uh, first first appearing, going back yeah you know, certainly over over twenty years, but. It's, uh, it's one of those areas of technology that has uh, you know, just been on this, this journey where it's, it's continually improving but, but incrementally. We don't necessarily notice that actually it's, it's changed so much because it's been in a lot of leaps. But before we delve into that, um, I think it'd be great to hear a little bit about your, your background, Jimmy, how you uh, ended up in this big wide world of tech understand that uh, that probably goes back to your your student days. So yeah, tell us a a little bit about where you started out. Sure, yeah. So
0: I I grew up here in Canada. Um, I went to university at the University of Toronto. And uh, that's actually where I met my other two founders of Nanoleaf. So when we were in university, we all joined this, uh, this student club. It was called the University Solar Car Team. And it was a group of students that got together and built a car fully powered by solar energy and we would compete with other schools from around the world and actually one of the locations that we competed was was australia so we built this car fully powered by solar that could actually run for for quite some time um it had uh, solar panels on the top it had all the electronics to convert that energy into usable energy for the engine and uh And yeah, that was, uh, that was about 20 years ago. So, so it goes back. Um, but after that, we graduated and the three of us went our separate ways. We like, I went into the corporate world. I became a technology consultant, um, doing kind of IT projects for big corporations. Tom, our, our, our other co-founder, he, he wanted to, he he studied, he, he has a PhD in biophysics. So he, he went into like, uh, just engineering proteins and, and doing simulations for, for a pharmaceutical company. And then Christian, who was my uh, roommate, he, he went to work for his family business running a factory in China. And the three of us were like, y- y- you know, wh- what are we doing? Is this really like what we want to do with our lives? Let's actually try and build something cool, sort of like what we did during the solar car days. Um, and so that, that was kind of the, the, the origin story, if you, if you want to say, for, for the Nanoleaf team. Um, and that's when we started to to develop products. and uh, it, it wasn't really to start a company. Like a, a lot of people ask me like, oh, why'd you want to be an entrepreneur? Why? It's like I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. I, I had great bosses that that I always looked up to and that I loved working with. Like being your own boss isn't always what it's you know, what it's what it's slated to be. <laughs> right? like sometimes it's it's nicer to be told what to do and finish that, and you're like, I'm done. I'm going home. <laughs> Um, but but yeah, the, I, I think you know don't get me wrong. Uh, it's, it's been a great journey, so' I'm, I'm lucky to be in the position I'm in but uh, but yeah, I think the, the really the the story goes all the way back to the university where, where we first met and developed a passion for for creating cool products.
1: Excellent. I love that. That's great. Well, definitely we will uh, we'll come back and, and hear a little bit more about Nanoleaf and, and you know keen to understand, the sort of products that you're doing, but of course, NanoLeaf is very much in this world of of smart home technology, and that's the the world that that you're in. I can see your uh, NanoLeaf uh, lighting behind you on the wall, the NanoLeaf uh, lines there. But I'm keen to sort of go back to those the history of, a, a little bit when I was sort of connecting the dots on smart home. I guess I I was thinking back. Uh, Probably yeah, in the direction of uh, of twenty five years, and I was thinking of a, a particular boardroom that was was set up. I was a, a, a technology consultant at the time, and I remember I used to work sort of mainly with multinational ad agencies uh, back in those days. But I had this uh, this one client. They were called they uh, uh, Walker's Advertising or something along those lines. And uh, due to due to something that was going on with local government, they were they were effectively uh, removed from their uh, the building that they were in because it was uh, an area that was needed to be taken over to uh, to build a, a railway station in downtown. Auckland um, and people local will be familiar with with the uh, the Britomart uh, precinct. We now have a, a big uh, railway station, but at that time they needed to move out, and because they were bumped, they were they were, uh, I think they received uh, you know some fair compensation, so they were able to set up some some new premises pretty slickly, and uh, and we we set up a very slick sort of uh, hidden projector sort of so that you didn't see the projector, but it was it was rear projecting, I suppose, and you know we set. Up uh, a little screen, and you could tap to turn everything on, and the projector would fire up, the blinds would close. And, uh, you know, that to me is my it certainly sticks in my mind as my f- first thing that's like, oh, that's what we do these days with smart home technology, but it was pretty expensive to get into in those days. And, of course, there's been a, a whole lot of years in between but, you know what do you look at as as kind of the the history of where smart home has has uh, come from and the moments that uh, that stand out to you Jimmy
0: so my example i think goes even further back than than yours it goes back to uh, the clapper days so remember i remember when i was a kid i'd watch these infomercials of like a fireplace and it's like oh do you want to turn off your lights
1: Clap off! Oh yes, clap yes. on! Yeah, yeah. Right,
0: and and that was smart lighting at, at a very kind of infant stage, right? And that was probably like what in the early nineties that that we had that. Of course, there was a lot of false positives, false negatives, so lights wouldn't work the right way, and and that technology didn't really didn't really stick around, but. You know, oftentimes like people are asking like, hey, like, you know, smart smart home, it's, it's really taken off. Actually, I, I still think it's at its infancy. I think right now what we have today, when you think about smart home products, you just think about products that you could control with your phone. And that's just the glorified clapper.
1: Yeah. You know, yeah, it's,
0: it's not convenient. actually much more convenient than, you know, like reaching for your light switch. You got you to gotta unlock your phone. You got to find the app. You got to turn on your lights. I, I would literally rather clap my hands. <laughs> than, than to do all that. So I, I think that there's still a long way to go. So it's just like, you know, if you see that journey, like we're still at the beginning, like it, I, I'm sure in like 10, 20 years from now, the way that smart home is, it's going to be completely different. And and it's probably going to take longer than people expect. Just like it took a lot longer for the clapper to go from where it is th- then, you know, to where it is today. It, it's like technology actually takes time to develop and it takes a lot of work, a lot, a lot of uh, people to put a lot of effort into exploring new ideas and, and, and making it actually
1: possible. Probably for me, the other thing that stands out in that, in that evolution would be the uh, assistants that we have now, the Amazon Alexa voice assistant, Google Home, uh, Siri. There was Microsoft in that game there for, for a little while off, off to an edge, but turned in a in a different direction with how they use voice now, quite a key part of it because it you know opened up the technology in a in a whole new way, and I think of yeah the convenience of of that piece. But we've also had the challenges is that there's been all these different ecosystems and technologies that haven't necessarily been compatible and they haven't necessarily worked so well. Um, so I'm kind of curious. Yeah, you know, can can we maybe just sort of step through some of those those pieces that join up the dots? Uh, there, you know, probably one of the one of the key pieces has been the the wireless communications, right? For for most people that certainly aren't involved in in smart home, we think of wireless communication as pretty much Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, and that's both have an important role to play in the smart home. But there have been other technologies uh, too, to a a degree. Some of them we might not have seen so much uh, in New Zealand. They vary in terms of the... the wireless spectrum they use and whether that's actually able to be you know, used in a particular uh, region. But we've had Z-Wave or Z-Wave, uh, I guess it would probably normally be called because it's a, a North American thing, uh, Zigbee. Uh, and then more recently there's, uh, there's Thread, uh, can you talk us through what these things all all mean and how they uh, how they fit together? I don't know whether whether this is uh, is your your area as the as the chief executive, but uh, I th- I think you you got a bit more knowledge on this probably the most. Yeah, I
0: I, I definitely have a lot of opinions. I, I I think let's start with Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi is probably the easiest one. It's the one that everyone's familiar with. The origin of Wi-Fi was for computers. It's for what they call the LAN, a local area network or a WLAN, a wireless LAN. And it was for high throughput products like computers to be able to stream large streams of data. So it was a a very power hungry um, uh, protocol. It took a lot, like you you needed to have a lot of like, it it didn't really work well with battery powered products, let's put it that way. And uh, it wasn't meant to have like, you know, when you think about smart home, think about how many lights you have in your house you probably on average 40 50 light bulbs in your house so when you add 40 50 wi-fi products to your network your network wasn't designed for that and so a lot of people they're like oh like you know this this smart home stuff sucks the the connectivity is so bad well you weren't supposed to have 30 wi-fi products on a single wireless network on wi-fi wi-fi wasn't designed for that it's for mobile phones it's for PCs, it's for smart TVs, it's not for lights that just need to turn on and off. Right, it just wasn't the intention. And then going from Wi-Fi, you think, think about stuff like Bluetooth. Now Bluetooth, it was originally like this protocol for, uh, I think mainly for wireless headsets or Bluetooth speakers. It was what they called a personal area network, a PAN, P-A-N. It uh, uses something called frequency hopping. And basically you got to get everything in sync and then then boom, like things get connected, right? And you can have at most seven devices connected at once. And it was meant for device-to-device connectivity. It wasn't meant to give you access to the internet. So for example, when you use that Bluetooth headset, that Bluetooth headset, like it's connected to your phone. It's not connected to the internet. Whereas when you think about smart home, you want that light bulb to be connected to the internet because the internet enables so much more possibility, right? So, so Wi-Fi and Bluetooth weren't necessarily the right networking protocols designed for a smart home. And that's what, uh, I guess, people that are not in the industry, they, they, they're not really aware. They're just like, hey, why, it's wireless connections. Like, why, why doesn't that work? But it, it gets more nuanced than that. Um, then there's like Zigbee and Z-Wave and a whole bunch of protocols that tried to do what it was meant. To, it was meant to do what what smart home needed, but then you know every company had their own way of implementing it.
1: Right, and this this was about bringing down the the amount of power uh, so that they could communicate easily over an appropriate sort of distance and to the appropriate number of number of uh, devices. Were those the those the main? The main I challenges. think there's a
0: couple key factors. One is the range. Yeah. Right. So if you think about the range of Wi-Fi, well, uh, the range of the 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi is actually further than the 5, 5 gigahertz network. However, the speed of the 5 gigahertz network is higher than the 2.4 gigahertz. So Wi-Fi is a very centralized method of communication. You have your router and all the devices connect to the router, whereas the newer networking protocols, they support what's called mesh networking. So ZigBee is an example of something that had supported mesh networking. So with every node, you're able to kind of expand the mesh and the range increases and it creates a a much more reliable and robust network in theory. But I I think ZigBee kind of went wrong where uh, it it was mainly that different companies were implementing ZigBee and they just didn't play well with others. So I could have a Zigbee product, but it won't work with another company that supports Zigbee because they don't want you in there. Whereas if you think about Wi-Fi, it's like you have a Wi-Fi router from whatever brand, it'll support any Wi-Fi product. And that was great. That really uh, allowed Wi-Fi to really expand. So the new protocol that you mentioned, Thread, is that protocol that is supposed to kind of bridge that gap between all of these different, uh, it's kind of the love child of Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and Zigbee, right? It's like what all these things wanted to do for smart home. It's finally there. It's a mesh network. Every device has its own IP address, which means that it actually can get direct internet access, which is huge. It's 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 meant for low data throughput, so it's not meant necessarily for like wireless cameras, but for stuff like uh, lights or you know your blinds or. Or anything that requires just very little data throughput, it's perfect for it because it'll allow battery powered products to last for like years as opposed to like, you know, maybe months or days with, with Wi-Fi. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, there, there's a lot of like that evolution that needed to happen in order for smart home to be in a position to actually continue to grow.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's great. That's really helpful. So, where, where's Thread at? Where's where's Thread at in its in its journey, and uh, you know, where do, where do we see Thread today, starting to come through? So, Thread was talked about for a
0: long time. Uh, it was originally created by, I guess, Google, the Google group. I, I believe they they were the, the the spearheading it at the beginning. Yes. But then, for the longest time, they couldn't get buy-in from from the the other big giants, and then. Uh, at the very end, Apple actually was the first to launch like a consumer-based um, thread implementation, and, and they launched it with the HomePod mini. And so we were lucky enough to be one of the partners that they chose to work with on that. So this was, uh, I think, uh, maybe a, a year and a half ago, a little bit more than a year and a half ago. Yeah, I think uh, around Q4 of 2020. They rolled out the HomePod mini, we rolled out our light bulbs. And that was one of the first consumer thread implementations that came to market. Once they announced that, and they they didn't even really announce it, they they just, it was like part of the specs on the HomePod mini, but that was big news for the smart home world, because then they were like, wow, we've been talking about thread for this long and finally we have confirmation that Apple is buying into this. So Google has been kind of including Thread in a lot of their products, but it was never really public. So they they have it they have Thread radios in their their Nest devices, um, but it wasn't open for for companies like us to be able to like add devices to that Thread network. And so now they're they're quickly evolving the Thread spec to be super interoperable, and all of the major giants have have kind of talked about their support behind it. So um, Apple, Google, Amazon, Samsung, Ikea, they've all announced like how they will be including thread radios in their new product line. So it's an exciting time. The only thing is the consumer, most consumers don't know what thread is. It's like, it's just, it's not really an acronym, but it's uh, just another networking protocol that you're going to have to educate people on. So it's it's kind of... uh, we'll see how the pickup is. And so I would say it's still at its early days and there's kind of a long way to go before it really is deemed successful.
1: Tell us about getting that attention from Apple because, correct me if I'm wrong, but they sell, you know, you've got quite a good connection there, right, with Apple.
0: We do. Um, we, we actually sell in their stores as well. So they, they're pretty, I guess, methodical with how they do things. So they, they want every store around the world to carry the same product line. So when we launched into their stores, it wasn't to one store, it was to all stores in like, I don't know, 30, 50 different countries. I, I, I don't actually remember, but there's all these certifications that we had to go through for, for all these different countries. And they're super secretive. When we were doing the, the thread launch with them, they didn't tell us that they were launching a thread border router. They didn't tell us that they were launching the HomePod mini. They didn't give us access to the version of iOS that supports thread devices. (laughs) They were just like, just build the product, send it to us, we'll test it. And so we had to launch a product that we didn't actually test. Apple tested it for us. So it was, uh, it it ended up working out fine because we sent them like a thousand bulbs. They, they didn't want like 10 or 20, they wanted a thousand test bulbs. So they're, they're very thorough. But, uh, yeah, like, you know, just being in the Apple stores for a company like us, it, it, it's like planting your flag on the moon. You know, it's like it's like I, I remember when we were in a, a smaller company, I was like, oh, maybe one day we'll make it into the Apple store. The, you know, you will, will know we made it then. And then one day it actually happened. It was, uh, it, was it was it was pretty amazing, pretty
1: amazing for us. Congratulations, that's great. And so what sort of a scale is your business now? because that is certainly the sort of thing that can you know really catapult a business getting uh, getting that sort of attention.
0: I would say we're kind of at a teenager stage. Um, we're beyond the startup stage where uh, we we sell in about a hundred different countries. so it's 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 pretty cool. We have offices in in Europe, in Asia, so we, we have an office in France, we have an office in Shenzhen. Hong Kong, Philippines and uh, I would say we're headquartered in Toronto. So we're uh, we've definitely grown a lot and I w- I would say the partnership with Apple was was a very important one for us. I think once we tell other retailers that that Apple trusts to have our products in their stores, it's just a lot easier to have that discussion with them. And in addition to that, in the last couple of years, as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, you know, the standards were all over the place. So Companies like us needed to build support for Apple, Google, and Amazon separately. It was completely separate. It was like a hodgepodge of different standards. And not a lot of companies were able to kind of jump through all the hoops that Apple creates in order to be part of their, I guess what some people call their, their walled garden. Is that what they call it? Yeah. Um, but for us, it was, it was always really important for us to do that because we knew that you know once we jump through those hoops and it works with apple HomeKit, the user experience is just so much better you're able to work directly with ios through the tools that apple invested millions of dollars into and they were the only i guess smart home protocol that was local when you think about the google home and the alexa everything was like cloud to cloud integrations and it didn't make sense to me why do we need to send a command to the cloud, then talk to Google's cloud, then have that beam back down to our product. It didn't make sense when you're already at home with that product, and there, there's privacy concerns, security concerns. And so, um, you know, having it work with Apple was, uh, was definitely important for us, but there was, yeah, they even have like requirements on your factory, which, which is good. They're, they're really stringent. They wanna make sure that we are following a, a lot of standards and specifications around how we how we do our business. So I, I think it, it helped us kind of grow from being just a small startup.
1: Yeah, yeah, look, I mean, those things are important, right? And Apple is is taking a big picture approach and making sure that those that they partner with are following good practices in, in factories and so on. You know, I think all of, all of that, you know, helps sort of move move society forward so you know that's that's encouraging stuff now before we sort of get into all of the exciting things that we can do with with smart home and and you know what we've got now where where it's going tell us about matter you know this is something we've been hearing about in tech media for a while as a, a bit of a savior for smart home and uh, simplifying and and bringing things together where where is that at from your perspective and uh is it of low importance, high importance? Uh, what, what's Matter all about?
0: Matter is of high importance to the companies that are developing smart home products. But to consumers, it shouldn't matter that much yet. So the reason I say this is because you know I, I hear all this news and people talking about, oh no, Matter's delayed. It's just like, well, what's the, what, what's the impact to the consumer? Is, does their products work with Apple and Google and Amazon? If it does, then it doesn't impact you at all, right? It's just, it's the underlying kind of language that the devices speak to each other, right? And the analogy I always give is just like right now we have to speak three different languages in order to speak to Apple and Google and Amazon. So it's like speaking French and Spanish and then German. And it's just like, okay, we gotta learn all these languages and everything that we do has to do all these translations matter is just being like you know what everyone we're agreeing to speak english now english is going to be the common language so any new device you don't have to learn three languages and the devices will be able to speak to each other as long as you speak english and there's going to be a ton of other companies building platforms so for companies like us it's really important it's it's like that foundation right and the analogy we always give is like it's more of a biblical reference it's you know the smart home today it's built on a weak foundation it's like built on sand and things are constantly moving and changing. You know, Apple says one thing, they change one thing and, and, and the sand shifts. Matter is like rock. It's like a strong foundation where we know it's not going to change. And it's once you built it, build stuff on, on the rock, it's going to be stable, but people don't come to see the rock. They come to see what's built on top of the rock. It's like, what can we do on top of matter? That's actually interesting. That's the part that's actually going to be really, really exciting. So the, to the consumer, I think that there's, they're not going to see like an immediate um, impact, but it, it is, it would be wise for them to, to buy into matter ready products or matter uh, enabled products, because at some point uh, the giants might actually discontinue support for some of their older stuff.
1: Yeah, and that's that's probably my biggest uh, you know concern with any technologies that we get into. They usually have a shelf life, right? And um, probably the the auto industry is the is the one that's frustrated me the most with how uh, limited lifespan the technology is. You know, a, a vehicle that's not too many years old that no, there's no updates, and what you've got is what you've got, and you're you're stuck with that. With with Tesla being the one that that's helped teach us. And helped sort of, you know, stir that sector up with actually look, there is there are better ways of of doing these things and you know, you can have a product that gets supported for a reasonable period of time. And and I'm sure at some stage Tesla's gonna gonna disappoint a bunch of owners. And as we see Tesla's become, you know, much more common in the second hand market, and you know, they're still re- you know, reasonably new in, in New Zealand and, and Australia in terms of sort of mainstream adoption. But I think smart homes, it's sort of similar thing, and you know, you spend a lot of money, and 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 you do. I mean, we look at look at a lot of the smart home things. It's it's easy, well, not necessarily easy to spend the money, but you know, it's not low cost to to buy a lot of the the smart home products. And so, if you buy something you really like. If that stops working after two years, you'd probably be pretty upset. So. You know, anything that can help create that that longevity, so that these products are going to work and work well for uh, for a longer term, I I think is very encouraging. Um, do you see matter as and, and I'm picking that there's an upside with matter that should give us that you know maybe longer term support? Would that be your your pick?
0: It does help. So one of the big benefits of matter is that it's it's all local based communications. So it's not cloud to cloud. So one of the big failure points of these you know, brands that just stop supporting stuff, it's like, well, that company went under, so their cloud is no longer paying their cloud fees. So they can't communicate with Google or Amazon anymore. Right? So that's typically it's like, Oh, that company stopped supporting it. Whereas with matter, it's actually just, Hey, that company built a light bulb. It, it speaks matter. It speaks English. And that light bulb will continue to speak English to your, you know, HomePod mini or your Google Home Hub. And, and so that support will forever be there. So it, it does help, um, I think, in some ways. But, you know, every, every product is a little bit different, so I can't speak for all products. But it is kind of a new, new day and age that we live in. I think back in the day when, when products weren't smart, you didn't have to have software support in order to, like, continue using that product, right? And things were just very mechanical and it was all the way until the mechanical parts failed. You could keep using that product. Nowadays, it's like, you gotta make sure that that company stays uh, stays kind of financially okay. Otherwise, if they go bankrupt and the software stops having that cloud
1: connectivity, you're SOL. <laughs> oh, well, that's that's uh, that's encouraging. So looking at the smart home as it is uh, today, what are the key bits and pieces that you know, folks? Maybe they've they've not really gone too far with smart home. You know, maybe they've got a voice assistant in their phone, or something like a uh, an, an Alexa or a you know Google Home type type device, or something from from Apple uh, that they can speak to, etc. What are the what are the possibilities that people can um, you know can add, and uh, you know create a little bit of a smart home at the moment? I think before we got started, you were you know you opened up your uh, your blinds. I'm not sure whether you were using a voice control or. Whether you walked up and manually opened your blinds, I wasn't sort of paying too much uh, too much attention uh, to let a little bit more I, I light buttons, in. They, okay, there you go.
0: But they they do work with the, the the various voice assistants. You know, I I think the voice assistants they were a, a big step forward. I'd say for for smart home because um, it it kind of like changed the control and and removed the control from your phone to okay now I can say a voice command. And my voice assistant will be able to control the things that are connected in my home. But at the same time, is that really how people want to control their things? Once in a while, it's fine. But let's say, you know, people are sleeping and you want to turn off the lights. Do you really want to say it? And like sometimes it doesn't get it right. So you have to say it like, you know. Hey G, hey, 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 hey S, like, you know, like respond. Yeah <laughs> and you gotta yeah. say it in that like computerized voice so that they recognize you. I think that that is all still just that's not true automation. And that's not actually smart. It's it's like you're misusing the word smart home. No, it's just it's a glorified remote control. Yeah, it's a glorified yeah. clapper. That's 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 all we're at today. And, you know, nowadays, like, yeah, sure, it's it's fun. You know, don't get me wrong. I like not physically having to roll down my blinds. That's kind of that's, that's kind of fun. But I think that there's still going to be more to it. Right. And, and I think the future of smart home is really around like, intelligence and automation, true automation. So when you think about smart home, there's products, like cameras, or doorbells, where it's like, yeah, it's smart, it's connected, and you could you could access it. But then there's automation. Well, how do we get automation? So let's use your meeting room example, right? Like I, I remember the first time I went into a meeting room where like they had a, a motion sensor to turn on the lights and, and it's something so small, right? But like you walk in the door and it's like things just happen and it, it feels like somebody's rolling out the red carpet for you. You just get that feeling like, Ooh, that was nice. That was special. Yeah. It yeah. did that for me that that's where smart home needs to get to it's not like okay hey look instead of pushing that button to like turn down the blinds i could just say it with my voice it's 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 gimmicky and i think that that's why like smart home adoption isn't so big yet it's like what is the use case for like let's say something like a connected bulb? what what the use case is okay i'm lying in bed i'm too lazy to get out of my bed to flick the light switch that's that's one use case right like it, it needs to be more than that in order for like someone like my mom to like get smart lighting yeah that that's that's my belief
1: and and there is a lot we can do but it does come down to those who are more patient and willing to you know really willing to invest the the time in it right because you you can set up all sorts of automations and and varying smart bits and pieces, like you know, like what you talked about with a you know sensor that works out that you're you're in a room, so you know something something turns on, or you can set it up so certain lights will come on at dusk, or at, you know a certain time offset from you know from from dusk, or that certain things come on in the morning to wake you up, or some you know some music uh, plays to give you a bit of a nudge that it's uh, it's it's time to get out of bed, but Depending on how far you want to go with that stuff.
0: Um, well, I think that's the problem right now. Like smart yeah. home as it is today, it's too too much for the, the 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 geeks of the world that are that want to spend time and set up all of those automations. Like yeah. you really need an intelligent home that is able to anticipate what you want and give it to you. And in order to get there, it requires still a lot of innovation. And this is why I still think that smart home is still at its infancy, because we finally got some rock to build on, you know, which is matter and thread. Like, these are just foundational pieces that is kind of invisible to the consumer. They don't see that, right? The home that they want is like, you know, the, 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 the thing that's built on top of this foundation is what's going to be exciting. And I think it's going to be a combination of the platform players making it a lot easier to, to do things beyond just you know, like voice control. And it's going to be companies like us that are able to develop innovative products to add to that assortment of connectivity to actually utilize all that and do something more, create a use case that's that, that people get excited about. And, and don't get me wrong like having smart lights it's fun right like like a product like this it reacts to sound it's it's fun you could control it with your phone and when you could control it when you're in another room so sometimes I like flash my my wife's lights like when she's in her office just to annoy her you know it's fun it's it's but it's it's still there needs to be there's still room for more yeah and and I think that that's what's like really exciting for a smart home yeah and and that's why it's just like even though like 25 years ago, we had the Clapper. Now we have voice assistants and we have phones that you control stuff. Where are we going to be at in another 25 years when every single device in your home is connected? That's going to be exciting.
1: Yeah, yeah, that that makes a big difference. I mean, I even think, you know, we put a, a new heat pump air conditioning unit in uh, a couple couple of years ago and, you know, it was a choice between... In, an, you know, a proprietary embedded, you know, option to be able to control it or a generic system that would, you know, can control it over infrared uh, which, yeah, you've got to have it positioned right and, uh, you know, just quite messy whereas I can imagine if this kit uh, had the standards that, you know, we've been We've been talking about in terms of uh, matter and thread, and that that was that was just their native. That'd be a whole lot better. And then you know you've got all the other things we're starting to see smart kettles and stoves and you know everything else. And you know I I think again back to, back to Tesla, if I've left a, a window down or the door open or anything like that, you know I'm getting an alert. It's it's actually being quite helpful to me beyond you know, having a remote control that lets you move the car forward or backwards or come and find you in a car park, there's some some useful intelligence where there's a a positive impact and you know I guess we get all these things talking to each other then you end up with more efficiency from a, a power perspective because it figures out well hold on there's nobody home you don't want us to have lights flashing at the moment or whatever to make it look as though there's nobody home or you do and you know all of these bits and pieces that can just sort of intelligently work together or last night you know after i had finished cooking dinner I was wondering oh have I have I left the stove on right? There's so many of these bits and pieces. If they were actually just just talking and smart and intelligent, it would be a whole lot better. Are there other sort of um, examples you can give us of where you imagine it uh, it can be? And I guess you know you've obviously got your eye on sort of a, a roadmap of future technology developments you're uh, you're working on as well there. Um, but you know, yeah, whether it's one or two years out or, or or further, you know, where do you where do you see these these things landing?
0: I think most, well, most of my focus is around lighting and a, a lot of it is around true lighting automation and, um, some level of intelligence controlling it. So like the idea of having to talk to your voice assistant to turn on and off your lights, that's something that I want to move beyond. Right. So how do sensors play into it and how do you, how does some, some level of like learning and intelligence play into it. And so, like, imagine, like, a little fairy that runs around, and as you're walking around the house, it'll turn on the lights for you. Or, you know, one of my biggest pet peeves is when people leave the lights on, right? Like, I know LEDs don't take that much electricity, but it's still, like, if no one's in the room, just turn off the lights. It's just ingrained in my habits. How about just turn it off for them when they leave the room, when there's no presence, right? So I think that this is really part of that future of smart home where it's like, it's sort of like uh, the, the Tony Stark thing where he's talking to Jarvis and Jarvis is, you know, just doing everything for him. And uh, of course, who knows, with AI evolving pretty rapidly, we might get to a point where we have a good enough AI to be able to control your smart home so that things like turning on and off your oven, it should just be, you know, I'm gonna cook turkey tonight. Can, can you cook turkey for me tonight? Yeah, and yeah. then the robot goes into the fridge, grabs the turkey, oven turns on based based on, you know, the Jarvis in your home. And and that could be the future of smart home. Going beyond just, you know, little conveniences of being alerted by things, right? It's sort of like what you were talking about, like smart cars today. It'll alert you when you forget to like close your, your window. And like the future of smart cars is ones where we don't drive them. <laughs> we don't, control the windows at all, unless we really want it open when we're in there, it'll close for you. Like everything just happens. It's not even your car. Right. And so I think that there's still a lot of room for innovation, but it, it you know, we have to first dream it up and then we have to iterate a million times before we build it. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and
0: that's what takes time. And that's, that's basically what I see on a day-to-day basis uh, with, with my team, where it's just like, should it do this? Should it do this or this? And, you know, that, that all takes time.
1: Yeah, and then there's the aspect of how much of that should, you know, do you build uh, and how much of that, where, you know, that, that should be handled by the Apples and Googles and and, and Amazons of, of this world. So I guess there's that kicking out the your role and where you, where you fit in. But before we delve into that, maybe just give us a run through on, on your product background, you know, your history. You started out... You know, I believe with a, a bulb on Kickstarter is that was that kind of the the early start? Maybe take us back and then run us through what uh, what your current offerings are because you got some really neat products that I'm not seeing anybody else doing. You know, doing what you're doing. So it'd be great to uh, just to delve into that side.
0: Sure. So our very first product it was a light bulb. It wasn't a connected light bulb. So it was the world's uh, most energy efficient LED light bulb. We, we reached about 150 lumens per watt, which was about twice as energy efficient as anything else that was on the market. You know, that was cause we wanted to, to power it with solar energy. We're like, it's gotta be energy efficient. And we're like, oh geez, we have the world's most energy efficient light bulb. Let's just sell that. Uh, we raised about 273,000 on Kickstarter. I, I would say in those two months, it was like some of the most exciting times of the company because, uh, you know, there was just three founders. We we're all working full time jobs and, uh, you know, we got phone alerts every time somebody backed us and it was like, D-d-d-d-d-d-d-d. I was like oh, this is amazing. Like, this is so fun. It was, you know, don't get me wrong. We didn't, out of the 273,000, most of it went to product and most of it went into funding the rest of the kind of the future products. Um, but it was, it was super exciting for us. But from there, you know, we, we really needed to figure out how to build a business. And how do we build a business with products that were, that that people would be willing to to buy at, at scale? So the light bulbs we were selling, you know, I think there was two versions. One was thirty five dollars, another was fifty dollars, and uh, this is U.S. dollars. Um, you know, there's no market for for really expensive light bulbs. We realized uh, it's sort of like. Selling twenty dollars toilet paper, you know, people just won't buy it, no matter how soft it is. That, that that was always the analogy that I had in my head, and so so we we went into developing connected products. So we created a connected bulb, but really, I think our big um, the product that really allowed us to kind of explode in growth was the panel product line. So we um, we originally called it the Nanoleaf Aurora, but then we ran into some trademark issues, so we just called it Nanoleaf Light Panels. Um, and that did really, really well for us. And, and we got into some, some pretty big name retailers. We, we got into the Museum of Modern Art in New York. Uh, we got into Best Buy. We got into the Apple stores. So that was uh, super exciting for us. From there, we continued to, to innovate. So we created a shapes product line, which actually in- incorporated different shapes. We started working with Thread um, because we knew that we wanted to get into uh, doing kind of more lighting products. From there, we had a thread light bulb as well as a thread light strip. So we launched this about a year and a half ago, uh, in conjunction with Apple. So this was, uh, you know, like we, we strive to create products and technology that don't exist on the market. So with our light bulb and light strip, you know, it it was years since like, you know, smart light bulbs have been on the market, but we're like, what are we going to do different? We don't want to launch just another, light bulb and just, you know, like be another option there. But we knew that there was a lot of potential in Thread and there was a lot that could be done with the smart home with Thread and that was the right technology to be building. So we actually invested a lot of time in developing Thread and and launching it with the bulb and the and, and the light strip. And we we put in a Thread border router into our shapes controller and into our lines controller. The lines is the product behind me right now. Um, so so I think for us, you know, like we, we started to, the, the lines product, sorry, I, I, I didn't talk about that one. So they're same concept as the shapes product in the sense that they're modular, uh, I guess, lighting products.
1: Yeah, they just click together, right? You can make your own design pattern on, you know, to go on the wall and, uh, and then control them.
0: Right, right. But uh, instead of having panels that shoot light outwards at you, they, they're kind of elevated from the wall and they shine light onto the wall. So I think the best type of light that you have in your home is what's called wall washed light, where you shine the light at the wall so that you completely get rid of any sort of glare, right? And the actual reflectivity of like white paint is pretty high. I think it's like 99% or something. So the light that you shine on the wall, it just comes back at you and it's and it feels really nice when you're when you have wall washed light um you'll you'll notice that in like rooms where like you have like a little bit of a drop ceiling and they shine light upwards a lot of times hotel lobbies do that um but the lines product was was us trying to to create a consumer focused product that achieves that but yeah i, I think if for going forward one of the things that we're spending most of this year building is is the support for matter and support for thread because we want to make sure that there's a strong foundation for all of our future products. So like typically we launch like two to three products per year. This year, you're not going to see anything until the after matter launches because we want to do it once and do it right. That's kind of my philosophy. And don't get me wrong. All these delays on matter have, uh, you know, I, I've been a little bit antsy about them, but it, it's not the end of the world for us. It's like we we want to do it right. And and doing it with thread and matter and the support of the major platforms is the way to go.
1: And how far off is that matter launch? Do you think?
0: Q four of this year. The okay. exact date, uh, I think the major platforms are talking about October as when they would start supporting things. But uh, the reality for us is, you know, certification happens around the end of August, and then uh, you know manufacturing happens after that, and then. Putting it on boats and getting it around the world, it it might take one or two months after that. So we're trying to move as quickly as we can. Um, But in in the grand scheme of things, the consumer, it shouldn't matter to them, (laughs) right? Like it's like our products still, like if you buy our existing products, they already work with the major platforms. If you buy our new products, they're going to continue to work with the major platforms. So for them, they won't really see the impact until the longer term. Yeah. And and even with that, most companies are building backwards compatibility support because, you know, no, no customer wants to be just kind of left hanging. We want to continue to build the foundation of our our, our technology so that we can build a long term successful company. And technology that's like meaningful for people, right? We don't we don't want to create throwaway products for people. It's kind of where things are at now.
1: Oh, that's, uh, that's exciting. I'm certainly pleased to to see the standardization moving forward so that's great i'm kind of i'm kind of curious there's this sort of whole chicken and egg thing with building tech businesses and i'm always curious how you know how these things play out you talked about some of the the places that took your nano leaf product and and sold it was it the museum of modern art uh, you mentioned there yeah uh, as as one of them i mean how how do those sorts of things Come about? Do you have to have a certain level of sales, or is it that that creates the sales? Is it all about getting the the product right? I mean, how do you, how do you cut these uh, cut these deals that are obviously you you know you have built a lot of momentum, and now you've said you're in you know, hundred plus countries and so on. Can you give us a little bit of insight into uh, into that journey? Yeah, the Museum of Modern Art.
0: You know, we we had showcased at a trade show, and uh, you know, there's different. Uh, journalists that go to trade shows just to cover, you know, what they've seen that were interesting, and there was a photo of our product, and the buyer from the Museum of Modern Art shared that clipping with us and was like, "Hey, this is a cool product. Can we chat?" And uh, we decided to do a small launch with them, and and uh, and and so that that was the Museum of Modern Art, and and they're a very, you know, there's there's two stores in New York, right? Well, or you know, the main. Every MoMA is different. There's MoMA Japan, there's MoMA SF MoMA. There, there, but they all, all operate differently. Sure. So the one in New York, they reached out to us, and and we ended up launching with them, and they they allowed us to do a display in their stores during holiday season. So, uh, I remember I flew down there, and you know we were standing in the window at nighttime, putting up panels, and it was uh, we created this beautiful display for them. Um, but it's it's uh, you know there's no secret to it. You just you just keep keep kind of. It's kind of like hustling, I guess, right? I, with with Apple Retail, um, you know, we built the technology to support HomeKit, Apple HomeKit. So they were they were kind of intrigued, and they're like, okay, they they saw we had some connected bulbs before. They're like, eh, we can put it online. And then when we finished our panel product, um, you know, I, I went over there to show them, and I remember we turned off all the lights in their room. And uh, we, we, we showed them the, the actual panels and the, the buyer was just mesmerized. He was like, I have never seen anything like this before. And so that's what uh, allowed us to kind of win that deal. So it was, uh, you know, it's just one step at a time and there, there's no real secret to it. I think ultimately, you know, one of the pieces of advice that I got from one of these buyers was, uh, you know, business is done between people you got to like the people that you're doing business with. You got to be able to trust them and you got to be honest and, and open. And, and that's kind of a philosophy that I kind of held with me where it's just with all of our partners, just continue to be honest and open and, and giving. And, uh, you know, you want to create that triple win in business. It's like you, you want to win yourself, obviously. But you want all your partners to win. So the retail partners, they got to make money, right? If they're not making money, it's not, a, it's, it's not a you know, triple win. And lastly, you need your consumer to feel like they're getting value for what they paid for. And when you have that, you have that balance and that harmony. And that's when you have a business that will be successful and will be sustainable. So that's a little bit of... I guess, my philosophy when it comes to running business.
1: <laughs> that's good. That's good. Yeah, that's, um, I always find it fascinating just to, uh, to get a bit more of that, uh, that, uh, that understanding. Anything else you'd like to add on, on Smart Home or on Nanoleaf? Um, before we finish up, I'm, I'm mindful we're probably just about out of time.
0: With matter and thread coming, I do think that more consumers should try and dabble in there, into Smart Home. The more that you get in there, the more, once you get started, I I think that it'll get more and more fun as it comes, goes along before matter was there. It was a little too complex. It's like, you have to pair this with that. You have to sign into this account and link those accounts. And nobody wants to do that. But once matter is there and you're, you're going to see a lot more innovations coming from the platform companies to make it easier for consumers. And uh, you'll, you'll have a lot more options. So there's going to be a lot more companies that are able to create smart products because the barrier to entry is, is much lower. They don't have to have their own managed cloud. They can just release a matter-enabled product and forget about the rest. So I think that you're going to see uh, another big jump. I, I I think, like when I think technology companies like it comes in jumps, right? Like when the smartphone was released, and there's this huge jump, and all these people got smartphones, and you know, smart home was able to ride that wave. Now, then there was voice assistance. You see another big jump, right? With this matter standardization, you'll see another big jump, and then from there, when AI develops, you, you'll you'll continue to see that jump until you have kind of what that future of smart home really, really was meant to be. So there's uh, still a long way to go but at least we're not still talking about the clapper.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um the the connection back into business. We talked about business in the early days and that was probably where where we first saw a level of automation being, you know, being affordable to business, but we're we're in this world where often the innovation sort of leads from a consumer perspective, but of course, you know, many of us still have a have a workplace to go to, and we want our workplaces to stay up to date, uh, do you see the the smart home technologies, the likes of Matter playing out and being what we will see in our workplaces? Or do you think that there's there's still gonna be kind of a whole different commercial uh, play in a lot of cases?
0: I think for now, it's gonna be consumer focused. What I've found is that consumer markets and commercial markets, they have different needs. You know, like even stuff like, you know, how, how security works, how management works, like you don't want any employee to be able to turn off the lights for any other employee, but, but also, you know, the future of workplaces are changing too, right? How many of us are just working from home three to five days a week? The future of living is changing too, right? If everyone's going to be doing this hybrid thing, everyone's going to be looking for a, a, a separate work office, home office. You know, I, I think that there's there's a lot of evolution to, be, to, to happen. But for now, in the short term, I think matter is really consumer focused. Um, of course, you know, people could use smart home products in like a SMB type of business. But when you're t- talking about like large scale consumer commercial workplaces, like the big banks and huge office buildings, like Thread in theory is supposed to be able to support that. Um but in practice, I, I haven't I haven't seen enough real world examples to be able to say whether it'll be reliable enough and stable enough to be able to support a commercial installation of like sixty thousand bulbs in a in an office building. That I don't know.
1: Okay, well, we'll we'll look forward to seeing how this evolves. Be really, really great to chat, Jimmy. I think that that brings us to an end if there's not nothing else from your end.
0: Well, that's that's it for me. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It was fun.
1: That's great. Well, um, thanks uh, thanks again to everyone for listening in. And a big thank you to our show partners for supporting the New Zealand Tech Podcast and more broadly supporting New Zealand's technology and innovation ecosystem. So thank you to Gorilla Technology, Two Degrees, HP, Spark, Vodafone, Cyclone and Aruba. And of course, thank you to you, Jimmy, for uh, uh, giving up your time to chat to us today. And yeah, really great to uh, to delve in and take a bit of time out to, to look at uh, Smart Home uh, and to hear some of the, the Nanoleaf journey as well. And uh, wish you all the best for the future as, uh, as this world keeps evolving. Thanks a
0: lot for having me.
1: Cheers. The New Zealand Tech Podcast.